0: Welcome. Glad that you guys are here today. Welcome to worship at Double O Community Church. Uh, if it's your first time with us, we are glad that you are here. I hope you just met some folks who'll become friends, and some people you'll get to know well. Uh, My name is Adam Robinson. I'm senior pastor here uh, and we are going to be jumping into the sermon uh, in just a minute. If you haven't been here the past couple weeks, uh, we're going to be doing that so we can have more musical worship on the back end. So that is coming. But we are going to continue our worship through giving uh, right now. If you look to the left uh, on the end of that row, you'll see some baskets. And if you go ahead and begin to pass those down, this is an opportunity for us to give back to the Lord in our tithes and offerings. If you are a guest, Please don't feel any obligation at all, but this is for us as members and folks who call Double Oak home uh, to really honor the Lord with our gifts and offerings. And we got ushers and deacons who will be coming down uh, to pick those up in just a moment as we do that. Uh, As they are doing that, let me give you a a little FYI as well. Coming up for next week, next week uh, we are going to be doing something interesting. We're actually replacing all of the uh, main lighting here in the main worship room. This is the original lighting that we had. It's been up for well over, uh, I guess, 15, 16 years. Uh, But there are a couple of challenges with it. Some of you live in very dark parts of this room. You may like it that way. Uh, We're going to steal that from you. Uh, We're we're taking it away, Uh, but there's just been some dark parts that we can't actually fix with the lighting that we have. We're going to be replacing all of this with LED lighting. It's going to have coverage over the entire room. Don't worry, it's not going to be like super fluorescent, bluish. We're going to still have the same warm lighting that we have, but we'll be able to do a lot of different colors, a lot of different things as well with that, as well as the additional coverage. uh, It is also going to kind of pay for itself over time. It is much less expensive uh, to run LEDs rather than all of these lights over the years, it will actually pay for itself. Um, Normally, we would just do that and let you figure it out. However, uh, next week, uh, we are not going to be done with the entire project. So when you come in for worship next week, we might be a little creative when it comes to lighting. There might be some holes in the ceiling. Um, It's not chaos, right? We're doing it on purpose. uh, And by the following week, everything ought to be exactly the way it needs to be. But next week, as you come in, we'll all just be kind of rolling with a little bit as we continue that process. But I didn't want anybody uh, to be caught aback by that. In fact, when we get done with this service, I'm going to ask y'all to move the chairs out because we'll have crews in here working on lights all this week. So if I forget that, remind me at the end of the service, I would appreciate it. Um, But I am thrilled that we're going to have this new capability here in the room for years to come. Uh, But grab your Bibles now, if you will. Let's go to Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Luke chapter 17, verse 11 is where we're going to be this morning. As we continue our worship series called Reaction. What we've been learning over the past couple weeks is that all worship is a response. It is a reaction to who God is and what he has done. It's not just something we invent on our own. We are reacting to who God is and what he has already done. And over the course of the series, we're looking at all the different types of reactions that we can have. Some of those reactions are voluntary. Some of them are involuntary. And there's a lot of different types of reactions. Last week, we looked at coming to the Lord's table. What does it mean for us to respond by coming to uh, communion? We got to celebrate that last week. We'll do that again in a few more weeks. I hope you'll be here for that. This week, we'll be looking at our reaction of gratitude. What does it look like for us to be thankful To the Lord. How do we respond to the Lord in gratitude? It's one of the main ways we're commanded to respond in Scripture, and it ought to be one of the things that just naturally comes out of us, that reacts in us when we experience the Lord and who He is and what He has done. And so, how do we respond in gratitude? Well, let's think about it a little broader. How do we express gratitude at all? How are we supposed to, how do we typically express gratitude? Normally, that just comes in two words. We say, thank you. Yeah, you just say, thank you. We do this all the time, right? We're very polite here in the South. We just say, thank you. If you want to express gratitude, we say, Thank you. But sometimes you want to go beyond just a mere verbal thank you. Maybe you want to give somebody a hug, right? You want to give them a physical thank you. It's like, hey, I just got to let you know. Thank you so much for what you have done, right? You give them a physical expression of your gratitude, Maybe you want to actually give a gift in gratitude. You say you like a thank you gift, right? Where you say, hey, listen, because of what you've done, I actually want to give you a, a gift, an expression of my gratitude to you. You actually provide a gift to somebody. One of the ways that, that we express gratitude, I actually have begun to appreciate more the, the older I get. Uh, sometimes we write a handwritten thank you note. How many of you have ever received a handwritten thank you note before? Yeah, uh, probably you know, almost all of us. Listen, I, I'll be, I just need to confess. I, I did not really appreciate this early in my life, probably as much as I should. Uh, And and over the years, I've received a lot of handwritten notes from you. I've kept almost all of them, uh, and and I do appreciate them, but uh, I've now begun to try to to give more handwritten notes, and you might notice not not as many of you have received as many handwritten notes from me over the years as I have received, and there are reasons for that. Uh, My handwriting is atrocious. Uh, It really is. I can barely read it myself. Uh, if you saw my notes, I do have notes up here and I can barely read them myself. And so trying to write out notes, it sometimes just doesn't even work, right? Because people, I don't even know what he said, right? It's just, I don't know, it's in another language. And so, and look, I'm typically a little high strung. I'm fast. I like to type. I can say a lot more, but it just doesn't mean as much, does it? Like when you and I open up a handwritten note, we recognize a couple of things. Somebody took the time, because it takes a lot more time to write it out than it does to type it. Chat GPT can't do this for you, right? Uh, you got to do this with your hand. You thought of the words. You, you sat there and said, I want to say this. And you, you took the time to to write out the note, to put the address on it, to put it on the stamp on it, to put it in the mail. I mean, you recognize that there's this, this time that went behind it, and that shows the gratitude, right? It, it is an action, a gift that is revealing how somebody feels. They say, hey, listen, I wanted to take the time to give this to you. All these are different ways that we show gratitude. So again, now, well, how do we do that with the Lord? How do we show gratitude to the Lord for who He is and what He has done? And we're gonna see that play out in our text today in Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. Uh, I, I read this passage uh, a few weeks ago as a part of our reading plan. If you're tracking along with us, reading the entire New Testament this year as a church, uh, if you haven't started yet, listen, even if you don't catch up, catch up if you like. If not, just start today and, and read with us five chapters a week. We're going to cover the entire New Testament this year. A couple of weeks ago, as we were in Luke, uh, I read this passage and it really got me thinking as I began to prepare for this message today. Uh, listen to what happens in Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. It says on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. There's a lot packed into this passage. I think sometimes we might be guilty of just kind of racing through verses. But the more you sit with this passage, it really begins to become stranger and stranger. So let's dive in and kind of see what is happening today. As Jesus is moving, he's on a trip to Jerusalem, but he's still in between. He's on a road trip. He enters a village uh, and he's met by 10 lepers who stand at a distance. Now, already you see this figure that you might think of only in terms of the Bible. um, And it's a little bit hard for us to understand who these guys were and what they are wrestling with. Uh, When you and I hear the word leprosy, we typically think about one particular thing. It's a specific disease. And maybe you've seen it where where people's digits and and things on their faces and their extremities literally begin to kind of decay and crumble. It's 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 a skin disease where literally they begin to kind of waste away, and that is called leprosy. But leprosy in the Bible is actually more of a catch-all term uh, that covers a lot of different skin diseases. So it could have been that one leprosy disease that we know of. It also could have been one of a range of skin diseases. But all of them are skin diseases, and almost all of them would have been incurable. But here's what this meant if you were a leper in biblical times. Your life was over. Because if you are diagnosed with leprosy, here's what's gonna happen next. You will never hug your husband or wife again, ever. It is not happening. You will never pick up your child again, ever. It will not happen. Your job is done. You're not going back to your workplace. You're not cleaning out your office. It's over. You're not doing it. You will never sleep in your bed again. You're not going home to be in your home that would contaminate the entire house. You can't be in your home again. all the restaurants you go to, your life that you're normally new. All of that is done. And you will now live outside of the city so you can at least see your family, but you can't get near them. But you're going to live out there with all the other lepers. That's your life. And it's almost definitely not changing. Early rabbis, would, would, uh, they would make it uh, the cleansing of leprosy as akin to raising the dead. That's how hard it was. It's just like this is, this is nigh impossible. And so for these 10 men to have been given this diagnosis of leprosy, you need, you need to understand their desperation. When they hear that there's a healer, when they hear that there's somebody who, who could come and give them their life back, they, they come to Jesus and they stand at a distance. They can't get anywhere closer. But They lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Interesting wording that they use here, right? Because notice what they call Jesus, they say, Jesus master, not rabbi, not teacher, not healer, not prophet, master. There's a level of faith in them where they say, we believe that you are more than just a rabbi. You're more than just a healer. You have authority. You have God-given authority. You are literally of God in some way. We don't understand. We call you master, Lord. They have some semblance of faith in Jesus Christ and they're crying out to him and asking him to have mercy on us. Please give us this healing. Now all that sounds normal. Verse 14 is where everything starts to go a little bit off the rails. Because in verse 14, it says, when Jesus saw them, he said, go, go, And show yourselves to the priests. I don't think that's what they were expecting. Because if you're these lepers and you've heard about this Jesus who heals people, you're probably expecting something a little bit more dramatic, right? If you go back to Luke chapter five, Jesus has already healed a leper where a leper comes up to Jesus and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus does this shocking thing where he reaches out and he touches the leper. And right there in front of everybody, he's healed this this dramatic miracle. And I'm sure maybe these guys have heard about that miracle. And so they come to Jesus and they're crying out to him saying, saying, Lord Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And Jesus yells back, hey, go show yourself to the priest. Bye. That's it. No, no dramatic touch, no moment, no miraculous healing. They still got leprosy, and they're waiting for something else. And Jesus goes, oh, oh, "Okay, that's it. Oh, 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 we're gonna go. Okay." And they begin to go. Can you imagine how disconcerting that is? Because as they go, they are clearly not healed. And so they're turning to go show themselves to the priest. Now, the only reason you would go and show yourself to the priest, if you're a leper, is to have the priest examine you and declare you ritually clean. Which it doesn't feel like this is going to go very well because they are quite clearly still unclean. But it is an act of obedience and trust They didn't get what they were expecting. They did not get the encounter they were expecting. They didn't get the miracle they were expecting. Jesus just tells them to do something. And out of obedience, they now turn and walk away. But look at the next phrase. And it says, and as they went, they were cleansed. We don't have any other recorded miracle like this. That is a progressive miracle. You ever been to a progressive dinner before? You know what that is? Progressive dinner is where you don't eat everything all in one place, right? You go here for one thing, and then you go to a different place for, for this course, and different place for this course, this place for dinner, right? And at the end of it, you're finally full. Okay, well, this is a progressive miracle. Because they're, they're walking along now going, well, I didn't go well. Uh, I mean, I don't know what we're supposed to do. What's a priest going to say? He's tired of seeing us, man. This is not going to go. And then one guy is just like, hey, was my arm like this when we started? Because I think it's actually a little better. Like, no, dude, it's not. It's fine. You got stuff like that all over your body. We all do. And so they keep walking. And some other guy go, No, no, no! Look at my arm. I mean, my arm's getting a little bit better. Like, going seriously. And so they all kind of are kind of walking along. to more of them kind of go, Wait a minute! Wait, mine too. And as they begin going on, they finally get what's happening, which. As they go, they're getting more healed, which I imagine they begin to pick up the pace. And so they begin to to walk, and now they're they're running, and then they're sprinting. And as they do so, the miracle continues to happen until all of them are cleansed. It's a progressive miracle. Unbelievable. Now, here's the, the other weird part about this passage. The story can stop right here, and it's awesome. If that's the last part of this story, that's great. It is a yet another sign of Jesus' power. It is yet another sign of his mercy. It is yet another sign of his authority over, over demons, over, over sicknesses, over everything that he doesn't even have to touch somebody, and it doesn't even have to be instantaneous. He can tell them to do something, and over time, it can happen. It's yet another picture of God's amazing love and grace for people, but that is not where the story ends. Verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. All right, so one guy out of all 10, one of them stops dead in his tracks. The rest of them sprint on ahead. What are you doing? And he's like, and he just turns around and starts sprinting back to Jesus. He can't help it. He just begins running now at full speed back to Jesus. And when he gets there, his gratitude cannot be contained. Do you see what he does? He says, with loud praise. This is not a quiet thing. He is giving loud praise to the Lord. And then he falls on his face in front of the Lord. He says, you are master. You are, you are unbelievable. I can't, I can't believe this. He gives him thanks. He gives him praise. He gives him worship. He, he kneels down. He is loud in his praise. He cannot contain the gratitude that is in him. It just comes out. And look, he has good reason. For, for this man in particular, he has multiple reasons to praise the Lord. Number one, he knew without a doubt that he was physically unclean and Jesus did not have to help him. He's physically unclean and Jesus does not have to help him. He doesn't. He's unclean. Jesus can go about his day and say, hey man, life's hard, sorry, and just move along. But Jesus chooses to give him a miraculous healing that no teacher, no rabbi, that nobody can give to him. Jesus heals him. But he's not just physically unclean. He is spiritually unclean. We're going to talk about this more in just a couple minutes. But there's a spiritual uncleanness that goes along with this leprosy. And Jesus cleanses that too. Now he can draw near to Jesus in a way he never could before. But here's the third thing. The last phrase it says here is, and he was a Samaritan. He's not Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. All his disciples, Jewish. Where is Jesus traveling? Judea. He is going to talk to the people of God, his people. Jesus has yet another reason to say, I'm sorry, man. I'm not here for you yet. I'm sorry, man, but I'm here for for my people, not for you yet. There are all these reasons. Jesus doesn't have to give him anything. And yet Jesus did. He heals him. He cleanses him. He accepts him. And when this man realizes that all that Jesus has done for him, he cannot help it. He runs back and throws himself at the feet of the Lord to worship, to react in gratitude. But then Jesus asks a very interesting question. Look at verse 17. "We're not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Where are the nine? Jesus is fully aware that he just did 10 miracles. He's not unclear about that. He knows he healed 10 guys. It wasn't just like a a miracle. I go, hey, let's go see what happens. I don't know. How many of you get healed? Who knows? We'll see. He says, no, I healed 10 guys. I know exactly what I did. And only one of them came back to praise. Where are the nine? Well, let's think about it. I think we could probably forgive them a bit if they were a bit excited to go home. Remember, they just found out that they can go home again. That they can hug their loved ones again. They can have their life back again. If you and I had been told we would never have that back, and then all of a sudden we were healed supernaturally, and we were going to get that back, I think we could be forgiven if we were a little excited to get back to it. These guys are so excited. Man, they are running headlong. They cannot wait to get to that priest and beyond him to get back to their families and to their life. And secondly, they could even say, I'm doing what Jesus said. He said, go show yourself to the priest. Guess what I'm gonna do? Go show myself to the priest. I am obeying Jesus in what I'm doing. And technically, they are correct. But they have missed something. And we know that because of Jesus' response. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? He has an expectation. They should have come back. This guy came back. He got it. Why didn't the rest of them come back? The Samaritan gets it, but all the Jews don't. Where are the nine? Why didn't they return? Here's the tragedy of what just happened. These nine guys got the gift, but they missed the giver. They got an incredible gift. But they miss the giver. You see, the Samaritan, when he comes back, he receives the greater gift. You Adam, what's greater than a healing like that? Well, that healing is temporary. Sooner or later, you're going to have to face death. We all will. Yes, you get your life back temporarily, but this guy just got something amazing. When he runs back, notice he doesn't stand far off. He comes right up and close to Jesus, right there at his feet. He's never been able to get that close before. He now has a personal encounter with God unlike anything he's ever had before. He has a personal relationship with Jesus, unlike anything that's been available to anyone before. And the nine missed it. Yes, they had some semblance of faith. Yes, they received the gift, but they missed the greater blessing because they did not return to react, to give thanks to the Lord. So the question for us this morning is, is is which which group are we in? Are we more like the Samaritan or are we more like the nine? Because look, we all came today crying out for mercy, did we not? We all come in here with our stuff. We all come in here with our brokenness. We come in here with our needs. This morning, I do too. We, We come in here and God have mercy on me. And God in his grace and his mercy often gives us what we ask for. But the greatest gift he can give us and the thing he wants to give all of us is even beyond any gift we might receive. He wants to give us himself. And the question is, when God gives us what we ask for, do we just enjoy the gift or do we turn back and enjoy the giver as well? You might say, yeah, but Adam, it's hard for me to relate because I'm not a leper, right? I haven't had that experience. I don't, I I don't, I don't know what it's like to have lost my life and have it back, but I I wonder if we're actually a lot more like these lepers than we might think. Not physically, obviously. We didn't come in here with an incurable skin condition, but we did come in here with an incurable spiritual condition, did we not? Because there is something that all of us suffer from or have suffered from. All of us are struggling with our sin. All of us have a spiritual condition that has separated us from the Lord and from other people. That's what sin does. It breaks relationship. And that has very clearly happened for us. And look, this is, you can actually see this in the text. There's an interesting thing that happens. Look at verse 14 and look what it happens. This is when he saw him, Jesus said to him, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were, what's that word? Cleansed. Now That's very interesting language there. It's a healing, but he specifically calls it a cleansing. Jesus brings it back in verse 17. Then Jesus answered, "Were not 10 cleansed. When you go back into the Old Testament, and you begin to read Leviticus and Numbers, you, you read all these different laws. Leprosy, you'll notice, gets treated differently than lots of other things in the Bible. There's all kinds of medical conditions you can have. There's all kinds of medical problems you can have. Not all of them made you ritually unclean. You could have all kinds of diseases, but they don't make you ritually unclean where you would have to be separated from other people. And you might think, much like I did, say, well, Adam, that's because the Lord is kind of helping them out. We're talking about people thousands of years ago. They did not have modern medicine. They didn't understand about infectious diseases. And so here's God kind of helping out his people, saying, hey, you better keep infectious people away from others so it doesn't spread through the entire camp. And I'm sure there's a little bit of that here, but... When you see this cleansing language, that's almost always associated with sin. When you have the Day of Atonement, it's talking about the cleansing of sin. The impurity that comes with leprosy is not just a physical impurity. It's a spiritual impurity. The reason you would put people outside of the camp is not just to keep the disease out, it's to keep the impurity out so that the spiritual impurity would not spread. The Lord was actually teaching his people something about sin and what it does and about holiness and who he is. And that's something you and I absolutely understand about because while you and I have not been afflicted with leprosy of the skin, we kind of have leprosy of the heart. We have sin in us that separates us from God and from other people. And praise be to God. Do you know what he's done for every born again believer in this room? He has cleansed you of that disease. Amen. He has given every single one of us salvation. He has drawn us close. He has healed us. He has given us life back. Whereas we had every reason to be left out in the cold, every reason to, be, to not receive healing. Instead, what we received was this unbelievable mercy from the Lord. God. Think about it. When you, were, you and I were far away, Jesus came close. Do you know why these lepers can catch the attention of Jesus? Do you know how, why he's in earshot? They can't get near him, but they can hear their vo- he can hear their voices. Do you know why? Because Jesus Christ laid aside his glory, took on human flesh, and made himself approachable. He literally came near to us. He didn't have to do that. He has made himself approachable. He draws near to us. That is a gift. When we were lost, he came to find us. We're in Luke 17. If you go back just to two chapters, Luke chapter 15, you can read about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost sons. Where it says that Jesus leaves the 99. He's the good shepherd who comes after that lost sheep, scouring that house, looking for that lost coin. And yes, whether the son is far away or even close in the backyard, he's going to go and find these lost sons and said, you can have your life again. When we are lost, Jesus came to find us. When we were sinful, Jesus cleansed us. Yesterday, we came up to the table and we organized were, we were, the body and blood. Jesus says, listen, I'm gonna literally have my own blood be shed to cleanse you of your sin. These other nine guys who are gonna be, beat this or the, the, the Samaritan to the priest, when they get there, there's a whole sacrifice that they're gonna have to make that shows a cleansing spiritually from where they have been. Jesus Christ is that sacrifice that cleanses us of all of our sin. If you're a born again believer, Jesus Christ shed his blood to cleanse us Of all impurity. Which means this. You are loved more than you can possibly imagine. You're not simply tolerated. You're not simply accepted. You are loved. He chose you. Sought you. When you ran from him, he came after you. When you were incurable, he cured you. And he sticks with you. This is a love unlike anything you and I have ever possibly received, do you feel the gratitude welling up in you? Thank you. Do, do you feel it? Inside your soul, do you, do you begin to recognize, wait a minute, I am the leper. Wait a minute, he has given me a miracle. He has done this for me. Do you, do you begin to feel that, that gratitude welling up inside of you for who God is and what he has done for us? Because if there is, then that ought to prompt a reaction. Yes. Unless it doesn't. Because let's be honest, for some of us in here, we say, Adam, I wish that were the case. It's just not. I I wish it were the case, that I felt that way, but I just don't. And I don't really feel like drumming it up or pretending. We actually don't want you to do that either. So what could cause that? The lack of reaction. The the lack of gratitude. Look, there's, there's lots of different options for that. Let's just talk about a couple One of the reasons we might not feel any gratitude is because we feel entitled. We just assume we deserve it because we're good people. We live in the South and we go to church. We're good people and we're not like those evil heathen. We're not like them. Fill in the blank for whoever they are and whatever they do. But I ain't like them and I don't do what they do. I ain't go where they go. I don't say what they say, which means I'm good enough, right? Jesus is happy to have me on his team. If we feel entitled, then we don't feel grateful. I don't, I don't know how pay works in your life. Here at the church, we get paid twice a month, so I got paid mid-month, like many of you. Uh, here's the thing. When you get paid, do you ever run to your boss's office and say, thank you so much? You ever do that? Is that the first place you go, thank you so much? it doesn't happen. Nobody does that, right? And you're like, no, of course it doesn't happen. Why should I do that? I earned it. That's, that's the, the thing we said we were going to do. I'm going to work, and you're going to pay me a set amount of money, and I expect it. For work performed, there ought to be a pay. I'm not going to say thank you. I earned it, and that is true. It's absolutely true, but if you earned it, you don't feel grateful for it. I wonder for some of us, we feel like we've earned it, and therefore we don't have to be as grateful to the Lord. I'm good enough. So, I mean, he didn't have to forgive me of as many sins as that guy. So we didn't have to work as hard, right? You you hear it? We never say these kind of things out loud, but if there's not any gratitude, perhaps we feel entitled. Here's the second thing. I wonder if we value the gift over the giver. I wonder if we value the gift over the giver. The problem for us is not that we don't love the Lord. We do. The problem for us is not we don't like the Lord. We do. We showed up today for worship. We clearly do. The problem is... I actually love his gifts more than I love him. I like him and all. He's great. I just love what he can give me even more. It's subtle. If you are a grandparent or parent, you might have experienced this at some point uh, with small children. Uh, Maybe you're a grandparent, you haven't seen your grandkids in a while, and they get to your house, or you see them and you just see them running towards you. They're just running towards your parents. Maybe you've been out on a trip for a while and you finally come home and you've got your little kids and they just come running up to you. And man, as soon as they come running up to you, scoop them up in your big hug and you're so glad to see them and you think that they're so glad to see you until you realize they're already kind of rifling through all your pockets. <laughs> and the first question out of their mouth, you know what it is? Would you bring me? Would you bring me? Would you get me? I mean, I'm glad you're home and all, but would you bring me? And feel your heart just kind of sink down a little bit. When you realize they love you, but they actually love what they can get from you a little bit more than they love you. Do we sometimes treat the Lord that way? We love the Lord, but I kind of love what he gives me more than him. If that's the case, I'm not going to feel a lot of gratitude. Or Here's the third thing. Um, We just don't really value the gift. We don't really value the gift itself. See, for some of us, you say, Adam, I know I'm saved, but that just happened like 40 years ago. And I got saved. I get that. I, I, I'm thankful. I really am. It's just hard to be excited for something that I've had for 30 years, for 50 years. And, and so I agree. You're exactly right. It just doesn't feel the same as it did 50 years ago. And, and so it's more of a, I, I do appreciate my salvation. It's just more of a, yeah, but, but what have you done for me lately? Jesus, what have you done for me lately? I know you did that back then, but what have you done for me today? What that shows is we don't fully appreciate the gifts. See, see, if we're walking with the Lord, here's what it ought to be. The longer you live as a Christian, the more ridiculous it ought to seem. The more you and I live as a Christian, the less we should assume we should be saved. Because I don't know about you, but the longer I live, the more terrible I realize I actually am. You begin to actually see your sin in greater degrees the older you are. Younger, younger us, we were awesome, were we not? I mean, younger us, we were amazing. God's happy to have us on his team. You finally start living more life and realize, I am terrible. And the longer you do that, wait, wait a minute, I, my sin was way worse than I thought it was. And look, that's not, that doesn't bring me pain. It brings me joy because as soon as I realize just how terrible I am, you know what that means? It means that God's grace is even greater than I ever thought it was. God's grace is always greater than my sin. It's always greater than your sin. So it doesn't matter how bad you actually find out you are. His grace has already gone before you and says, it's even greater than that. Which means I have even more reason to praise the Lord. Do I not? I got more reason to be excited about him. So the longer I live, I ought to be more excited about my salvation, not less. Unless I just don't value the gift. What if we're coasting? And we're just not growing in the Lord. And, and, and so we're getting farther and farther away from that original salvation. And we're just, we, we don't have gratitude for who he is or what he's done. See, if that's the case, what it, what it shows us is that we've got, a, we've got a flawed perspective. The way we see things is off we're not valuing things appropriately some things that aren't as valuable we think are greater and some things that should be more valuable we think are lesser there's a problem in our perspective we talked about this a few months ago if you're here last fall uh we did a sermon series called treasure uh, and we talked about our money and about what our actual treasure was and it was all based out of some verses in the the sermon on the mount that jesus gave us and and in the middle of that passage there were some weird verses i want to look at them again this is matthew 6 verses 22 and 23 and listen to what Jesus says. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now we looked at these words and realized that this word for, for a bad eye, that word, it's an evil eye. Uh, and that word really means in the Hebrew, stingy. It's an eye that says, what what, what can I get? And and how can I keep what I get? Don't take what I have. It's all mine. You give it to me. And I'm just, I'm stingy. I want to kind of keep everything for myself. Whereas a healthy eye is a generous eye. I'm looking for places to give. I receive so much from the Lord. How can I not give out of that surplus? How can I not give knowing I'll receive even more from the Lord? How can I look for places to give and be generous? Do you see the different perspective? A stingy eye says, I, I'm only going to get so much. Don't take what I have. I'll never get any more. Whereas the healthy eye says, I've got more than I need, and I've got more coming, so why don't I give more away? You see the different perspective? I wonder some of us, when it comes to the gifts of the Lord, we, we got an evil eye. We don't think any more is coming. We don't even know if we're going to get to keep what we have. We're, we're constantly worried. He's going to stop loving us instead of recognizing. I was loved when I was a sinner. I was was loved when I didn't deserve it. I'm, I'm in Christ not because I'm good, but because Jesus is good. and He's good enough. I'll never lose this. Man, when you and I live with that kind of perspective, it leads us to more gratitude. It leads us to thankfulness, which leads us to more joy instead of into selfishness and bitterness and entitlement that comes with an evil eye. And so how do you correct that? How do you correct our vision? Let me give you four quick things that can help begin to correct our vision when it comes to gratitude. The first is this, we need to repent. We need to repent. If you're here today and say, Adam, I don't feel that gratitude, then we need to repent. We go to the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry. Repent is a word we ought to be comfortable with, by the way. Not just for when you and I come to Christ, but all throughout our life in Christ, we are constantly repenting, turning away from our sin. That's what repentance means. I turn away from it. And so, if the Lord reveals this to you, if you feel conviction this morning of like, I, I am more entitled than I thought I was, I do value the gift more than the giver, then we bring that to the Lord and we say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm clearly not seeing this well. Can you help me? Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Would you heal me? Would you correct my vision? I want to see you for as you really are. But Lord, I have valued the wrong things. We confess and repent and we turn away from that. Don't be be afraid of conviction. Conviction is good. Do you realize that conviction is not there to God putting his thumb on you and reminding you how bad you are? Conviction is his way of healing us. Conviction is his way of like, no, I want to heal you, but you need to turn around, much like that leper, turned around and came back to Jesus. Hey, conviction is his way of turning you around because repentance is not penance. Did you catch that? Repentance is not penance. You don't work it off. You don't pay the price. There is no punishment for your sin. Do you know why? Because all of the very real punishment has already been taken by Jesus Christ. It's already done. So when the Lord convicts us, he wants us to repent that we might be cleansed and healed, that we might enjoy him more. And so step one is to repent. Just admit it and say, I've been selfish. I haven't seen this. Here's the second thing. Receive. Receive what he gives to you. What he's offering is his relationship. Here's the great thing about the generosity of God. He doesn't bring it back. Do you know how this story could have ended? He could have taken the miracle away from the nine. You know that, right? He gave it a progressive miracle in one way. He could take it back. It could be that they're running about the halfway point. I'm healed. You know, Samaritan peels back. I don't know what that guy's doing. Let's get there fast. And the more they go, hang on a second. And the closer they got to the priest, it's all back. Oh man, I'm leprous again. Jesus absolutely could have just taken the miracle back, but he doesn't. let him keep it because God is gracious. What if you just received the God is, gift that God is giving you today? Stop trying to earn it. Stop beating yourself up for things that happened 10, 20 years ago and telling yourself, I can't have that. I can't experience it. I don't deserve it. Just receive a gift. It's a gift from the Lord, but don't stop it just a temporary gift. Take the greater gift of his relationship with you. That's the gift he's trying to give to you. Here's the third thing, return. Return. That's what the Samaritan does when, when, he, when he returns. He doesn't return to the outskirts. Did you notice that? He doesn't stand far back. No, he busts right up in. And gets closer to Jesus than he ever has before. Gets right there at his feet. He returns to the Lord even closer than he was before. That's what Jesus is inviting you to. He's giving you this miracle that he might invite you to abide in him, to know him, to live in him forever. This is what he is offering to you. What would happen if you didn't just return to the outskirts and return to sit in the back to return to kind of watch quietly and maybe think about it for two years? What happened if you just returned and like came back to the Lord? He's offering it to you. Why wouldn't you receive it? Why wouldn't you return to a personal relationship with him? And here's the final thing. React. React. When we come back, it's okay to react. In fact, it is preferable that you react in some way. Now, look, there's lots of different ways for us to react spiritually. Are there not? Look, when we react spiritually, what does this guy do? He he reacts loudly. Did you notice that? Loudly. With loud praises. He didn't stand at the back and just like catch Jesus' eye. He says, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I got it. Thank you. Bye. I, got it. I understand. Thank you. Bye. No. He comes busting up. Jesus is amazing. Do you know what he did? Look at these arms. I am healed. He comes busting up in and gets right at his feet. He is kneeling. He is praising. He is thanking. He's got his hands up. Man, he reacts to the Lord. Which begs the question, what's your reaction? When we think about these things, when we dwell on these things, what's our reaction? Now look, all of our reactions, there's lots of different reactions. And you do not have to react like everybody else. We're going to keep saying this. There's no preferred way to react. There is no one right way to react. There isn't. You can put your hands in the air or not. You can stand or sit. You can sing loudly. You can close your eyes and pray and talk to the Lord. You can get on your face. We put kneeling uh, couches right up here on the front and on either side. You can come and kneel before the Lord and you can get on your knees right there at your chair. There's so many. You can go talk to somebody in the prayer room. You can get counseled by somebody else. There's so many different ways you can react. There's only one wrong way to react and that's not to react at all. There's only one wrong way to react and that's not to react at all. And let's be honest, that's some of y'all. Y'all know I get to see y'all, right? Y'all came to a smaller church, which means I see you in the back. I see your faces. I know who you are, right? I do. I see you. And I don't see you as much as the worship team does, but I see y'all. And I don't understand some of y'all. Because some of y'all in worship, here's your reaction. It is nothing. You're just here. Mm. Some of them, you got your coffee a cup up, like a shield. It's like a worship shield. Nope, can't worship. Grab my coffee. Nope, can't raise my hand, so you got a coffee cup. Peek, can't spill it on anybody else. Peek, sorry, got a coffee cup. As if you've ever done that at a football game, I can't cheer for the touchdown, got a cup. I wish I could cheer right now, I really wish I could, but I can't. I got this cup in my hand. You can sit here, stand, watch, hmm, people are singing, hmm. As if you're not involved, what are you doing? Quite literally, what are you doing? Because it looks like you're doing nothing. It looks like you're choosing not to react. Why is that? Because again, you don't have to react like everybody else. But when faced with this type of joy, this type of gift, how could we not react? Now look, I understand it's a little bit hard in this room. It is. Uh, This past weekend, I went with about 60 of our guys uh, to a men's conference. Uh, We were over at uh, Sanford University with about 1,600 men from all over the state. It was awesome. Uh, For you men who didn't get a chance to go with us, I hope you'll go with us next year. It was awesome. We had an incredible time. Uh, We were in the Wright Center at Sanford University, which I've had a lot of incredible experiences there. Uh, Went to school there. Um, but it's a theater, right? And so there there was a stage and there were lights. And so we had these incredible worship services. Buddy of mine was leading worship uh, and it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Uh, And you've been in rooms like this before, dark, closed rooms with lights in it. And it's just a little bit easier to worship sometimes in a room like that, isn't it? It is. There's a reason you build black rooms with no windows is because it gives you this illusion that you're actually more alone than you actually are. This is why if you went out to a romantic restaurant for Valentine's Day, and if you did not, guys, you're late. All right, listen. If you if you did not do that, listen. The reason they do the lighting real low is and they don't do like the track fluorescent lighting up top is because one that kills souls. I don't even know why people put that in, but <laughs> but it, it does. just science. All right. So, but look, uh, uh, but but look. I mean, they they do the the, the low lighting. Why? Because it gives you this illusion that you're just there together, the two of you, and that ain't this room, is it? Look at those windows they are large. They are massive. I even got smaller ones underneath it. This is a large, well-lit room, and it's not at night. It's Sunday morning, and you're all on the clock right now, aren't you? You're right now resisting the urge to look at your watch. I know you are. Don't look. He's looking at me. He's looking at me. Wait till he turns away. Then I'll look. You're on a clock. You're in a well-lit room. And so, Adam, I don't feel very alone. And so I feel a little bit more conspicuous when I react. I understand that. But when this man turned and ran to Jesus, he was not in a dark room. It was broad daylight in front of everybody, and he could not help it. Why do we? Why do we? You're in a room full of Christians, people who love Jesus. Who are we feeling embarrassed in front of? And so my question is, when we come to the Lord, what what gratitude do we bring? How can we express our gratitude to the Lord? Right now, we're about to do this. We're about to practice this for for a good period of time. Until the end of the service today, we're going to practice gratitude. And you have the opportunity. Again, you don't have to react like anybody else. But what is your reaction to the grace, the mercy, the healing, the salvation, the goodness, the pursuit, the love? that God gives to each and every one of us. What's our reaction to that? So you just by your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And the worship team's going to come back up and we're actually going to spend the rest of our time singing. But singing is not the only thing that we are going to do. Again, you've got freedom in this room. I'm going to be over on to my right, your left, and kind of standing here. If you'd like for me to pray with you, I'll be available. There's going to be folks in our prayer room. If the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart and saying it's time for you to stop waiting, you need to pray with somebody. You got me up here. You got people over in the back uh, on your, your left, my, uh, actually my left, your right in the back corner. You can go and pray with somebody there. We've got, we got kneeling couches right up here. If you just want to come, our uh, cushions up here. If you want to come and kneel, you can stand. You can sit. You can sing. You can pray. You don't have to look to anybody else to see what you need to do. But we need to react because the Lord is real and he is good, and he has saved us, and he has cleansed us, and he is inviting us close, how could we not give him thanks? How could we not, both involuntarily and voluntarily, choose to give him thanks today? And so, Heavenly Father, thank you. Those words are, are not good enough, just the two words, thank you, but just thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for how you love us. God, thank you for a salvation that we still don't fully understand. For a love that's greater than we understand. To cover sin, I don't fully understand. To draw me closer than I understand. You're just so patient and gracious. And sometimes, Lord, I confess on behalf of all of us, we've just just loved your gifts more than we've loved you. We keep asking for things instead of asking for you. And so this morning, we just want to say thank you for you. Thank you. Thank you for who you are and how you love us. And so for every one of us, would you meet us where we are? And would you help us, Lord? We need the help. I'm so sorry. But we need the help that we might bring you proper gratitude this morning. So all across this room, for all of my brothers and sisters, all of us here today, we make a choice to worship you in Thanksgiving today. Thank you, Lord. Receive our reactions today. Let's worship him.